0: Must be 21 years or older to enjoy. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. And as always, celebrate responsibly.
1: When you rely on the internet for everything, you need speed that can handle anything. Xfinity delivers Wi Fi speed faster than a gig. Go online, call 1 800 Xfinity, or visit a store today. Restrictions apply. Gig Wi Fi requires gig speed and compatible X Fi gateway. Actual speeds vary, not guaranteed. From your favorite source for Chicago White Sox talk, delivering news, interviews, analysis, and more. This is the Sox Machine Podcast with your hosts, Jim Margulis and Josh Nelson.
0: Thanks, Rob, and welcome to the Sox Machine Podcast. I'm your host, Josh Nelson. And it's December 2nd, 2020, as this episode will be recapping the Chicago White Sox non-tender decisions as the deadline has passed. Both Carlos Rodan and Nomar Mazara were non-tendered, making them both free agents. They are the only non-tenders for the Chicago White Sox this offseason. Ronaldo Lopez is coming back, and they already agreed to a one-year deal with Jace Fry. We already knew that the White Sox needed better play in right field, by, but by letting Mazzara go the same roster hole, from 2019, is still in need of plugging, a left-handed power bat, and someone to play right field. Are there new options available after other teams' non-tender decisions? We'll take a look at those options later in the show. But first, the Carlos Rodon era is over. The White Sox first-round pick in 2014, third overall, had a promising start but a disastrous finish with the White Sox. Joining me to recap the Rodon era and the White Sox non-tender is the managing editor of SoxMachine.com and co-host of the podcast, it's Jim Margulis. And hello, Jim. We had a feeling that Rodon threw his last pitch with the White Sox after Game 3 of the wildcard round in Oakland, and after six seasons, another White Sox first rounder flames out.
2: Yeah, uh, well, you know, technically he's not officially done, just because Rick Hahn said that they plan to stay in contact with uh, both uh, Rodan and Mazar. And I thought it was funny the uh, the quote in the press release says that a great deal of consideration and analysis goes into our decisions to forego the arbitration process and instead engage with players and their representatives as free agents, which I think is a great euphemism, you know, way to put it. Just uh, it's a it's a wonderful spin, just <laughs> like a. Uh, uh, so we didn't non-tender you. We just for the arbitration process and would rather talk to you as a free agent. And that's, you know, that's so he's basically done. But yeah, it's, um, yeah, I think with each passing year that Rodon struggled to get a foothold, uh, whether it was because of, you know, talent and injury, and it was more injury because than talent. But then you see Carson Fulmer and just how much he struggled. Really, uh, I guess the biggest takeaway to me is that, uh, you know, the Chris sale experience should not be taken for granted. I don't think anybody did, but just it becomes more and more remarkable each and every, uh, I, I think year and, and each and every pitcher they try to fast track, even you know outside the White Sox organization, just trying to get a, a pitcher that good uh, on that fast track to where he's contributing to the uh, major league team within a year of being drafted. I think that's really, really tough to do. And Rodon, uh, I think he had the talent. I don't think they mismanaged it. I just think that, uh, you know, when you have a guy you're trying to fast track and and get into a major league system, and he, you know, he, I think one point he mentioned that he, you know, hadn't really perfected the five day routine for starting pitcher. Just like that's something that uh, you know happens over the course of my seasons, you're expected to pick that up in the fly as you're trying to succeed in games that count. I, I think it's just it's a lot for any pitcher to handle. And Rodon, unfortunately, we didn't get to see him handle it because his body didn't really. Uh, uh, allow for him to show what he had learned, uh you know, I, I guess when it comes to the, the, the mental part of pitching and the approach part of pitching,
0: there will be some that will say, Jim, Carlos Rodon ended up being a bust because he had a lot of hype entering that 2014 draft hashtag road to Rodon. A lot of people thought that he was going to be the number one overall pick that didn't happen. It was a huge surprise that he even fell to the white Sox at pick three And again, he did pitch well for the White Sox in his first four seasons when he was on the mound. He had an ERA plus ranging from 100 to 104. So if you want to argue about saying pitching well, he he was an average major league pitcher in his first four seasons with the Chicago White Sox. And when the White Sox had Chris Sale and Jose Quintana, you'd take average as your third guy or even fourth guy, especially when the White Sox had... Jeff Samarja, and that was Carlos Rodon. But do you consider Rodon's career with the White Sox a bust, Jim, when you look at the overall numbers and performance that he provided in which that he leaves the White Sox with a 100 ERA plus uh, from BaseballReference.com, and his total war uh, with the Chicago White Sox is just six and a half.
2: I guess he's a bust the way that Gordon Beckham was a bust and that he never quite met the hopes he couldn't count on him he wasn't a fixture and and those were the expectations for both and both came up well short of it i think you know by mlb draft standards not really. Just because he did stick in the majors. Um, you know, it wasn't a talent thing. It was a uh, uh you know, it wasn't uh poor evaluation by the White Sox, it wasn't Rodon failing to develop in the minors. He got there, got to the majors on a correct timeline and he uh you know had stretches where he was very, very good and he just, you know, couldn't keep it together. So I think when you look at that, you know, first round of the uh draft year in twenty fourteen, you know, the, the two picks ahead of him, Brady Aiken, Tyler Kolek are Far, far away from the uh, majors, probably will never get there. And so, you know, if if using the same word for both of them, I think is not correct. Like Aiken and Cole, like those are busts. Um, you know, Alex Jackson is below uh, uh, replacement level uh, for his career. Jeff Hoffman, the same thing, and including uh, top ten picks. So, like those guys, I think are busts. Yeah, I think for Rodan, he's just more of a a disappointment. It he, he didn't quite materialize. And and uh, I think there's a whole lot of reasons for fans to be dissatisfied and for the White Sox to feel like they missed out on something. But I don't think – I think bust is too strong for how iffy the draft is in general. And if you use bust for him, then you know you, just, you get to, like, sub-bust, or I, I don't even know what the words you use to describe, but guys who can't get out of A-ball. Uh, I'm just checking Aiken and Kolek. The last I checked, they were – stagnated there. Yep. A- Aiken is not pitched above a ball. Colek has not pitched above a ball. So yeah, I mean, those are, those are busts. Rodon's just a disappointment.
0: The next non tender for the Chicago white Sox is no more Mazzara traded for almost a calendar year ago at the 2019 winter meetings in San Diego. The white Sox traded former second round picks Steele Walker to Texas for Mazzara hoping that the left-hander could provide some much-needed power in the lineup and try to patch up the gap in right field. Instead, even in a 60-game season, Noah Mazzara hit one home run. It was off the National League Young Award winner, Trevor Bauer, but it was just one home run. And Mazzara finished 2020 hitting 228 with a .295 on-base percentage, and he slugged 294. You heard that right. Mazzara's on-base percentage was higher than his slugging percentage. And that equaled to a 64 OPS+, plus, which means that Mazzara was 36% below league average in 2020. Jim, where did it go wrong for Mazzara and the White Sox?
2: Well, I guess it was kind of a, a bad idea from the start. Like, even, um, you know, when the White Sox acquired him, it just felt like, it was a move a year too late or for it was better suited for a team like the Tigers or the Royals, like uh, earlier in the rebuild, uh, you know, deeper in the throes of uh, just uh, all the unpleasantness that rebuilding entails. You know, that, that's the kind of move where you take a guy like Mazar, you trade, you know, kind of a, a prospect. You don't know, have a whole lot of hopes pinned on and say, like, well, let's see if we can straighten this guy out. We can put this playing time to use. And the White Sox, I think, were a year past having that kind of uh move really pay off. I mean, like if it worked out, he'd be a year away from free agency. Maybe they try to strike up some deal, but it it wouldn't have really, the the payoff wasn't that great for the uh, amount of resources they poured into it when it came to using steel Walker, but also just, you know, the, the playing time and, and and not finding somebody, but not having like greater ambitions for the position. So I, I think it was kind of a flawed process from the beginning. Uh, and then, you know, him having strep throat before uh, opening day, interrupting his spring training, not having like a proper rehab stint to get back in the swing of things, just seemed like he was never in a groove, like just watching him hit. Uh, you know, I, I guess when, when I'm watching a guy struggle, I just, you know, the, the thought I keep coming back to is like, what pitch can this guy damage? And, you know, even like Adam Engel, uh, the, the, in his worst, you know, like, uh, his, his most frustrating, his most overmatched, just like, okay, like a low, Plate-splitting fastball, knee-high, he can drive that. Like, Mazzara couldn't even get around on that. And and just his timing was off. Uh, he was trying uh, different things with his hands, and his, uh, you know, his approach, just nothing nothing was there. I think his defense is actually a little bit better than I thought it was going to be, but everything else is worse. So it, it kind of reminded me a bit of Steve Cieszek in that, like, he just was not the player the White Sox signed up for. And I, I think that's, you know, the, the kind of, Swing and a miss, like the, 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 the size of the whiff, I think, is a little bit concerning, just as the White Sox go forward and try to prove that they're past the uh, issues that they had with uh, pro scouting uh, or scouting pro talent that really sank their first attempt at rebuilding.
0: Mazzara's career numbers, he's got 2,338 plate appearances. His career OPS plus is 92, which means that Mazzara is 8% below league average for his career offensively. And at 579 games played, his career war total is one. That's as replacement level as it gets, Jim. Do you think any major league team is going to sign Nomar Mazzara this offseason?
2: Uh, I could see a team like maybe, you know, Orioles bad doing it. Um, it seems more realistically that he could get a shot in spring training for to win a position. Um, you know, that might be more his future in like a, a park that's well suited for left-handed power or at least can can uh you know where that where that plays well um I, I can see you know he's not you know just the circumstances of the 2020 season are so bizarre that i think it's going to take a couple of years to find out what was real about what wasn't like i mean you had two first basemen winning the mvp for the first time since uh 2008 and that's a little weird and and just i think there are some weird uh byproducts of the season that i think won't be fully understood and you know, Mazara's track record was basically replacement level. Like I'm looking at his uh uh baseball reference page and this year really messes it up because like his home run total 2020 2019 and then one, his OPS pluses were ninety-three, ninety, ninety-six, ninety-six, sixty-four. Like just everything was pretty you know, basically his baseball reference page says that uh you know we know who this guy is. And then he looked completely different than the White Sox. So I think there is some room for him to build himself back up, either get into a, a camp that's auditioning for a corner outfield job or be in a spot where, you know, go to Triple A maybe. But, you know, just if you crush the ball there and if he gets like the playing time against a lesser competition that he didn't get with the White Sox trying to come back from the missed time for strep throat, then maybe he can make another run at it. But, you know, I was listening to Frank Manikino's um, uh, Zoom conference call, and he said that it takes 1,500 plate appearances uh, for a hitter to show what he is. And, you know, Mazzara has passed that by a full season now. So it's just, uh, you know, or more than a full season. So it's just, I'm I'm glad the White Sox non-tendered him because I think there is a way that you can talk yourself into feeling better about what he can offer in 2021, and, and the White Sox just shouldn't fall for that again.
0: I don't think Nomar Mazzara is going to be playing the major leagues next year. I'm thinking he's going KBO, Jim. Hmm. Because if he can get a million dollars or even say $800,000 playing every day in the KBO, that's a much better deal than signing on for spring training for a minor league invite, not knowing for sure if you have a guaranteed job.
2: Yeah. You know? I, I think it depends on... I I think the KBO has roster limits for foreign players, so...
0: They do, it's like two.
2: Yeah, so I think it depends on what the situation is like with the pandemic and with, you know, whether players have signed on for next year already, uh, you know, not planning on coming back because of the uncertainty or or what, but just I think there are um, certain things that are going to prevent like some... I, I think at some point he could end up here, but I think maybe he might have one more year in him just to prove that he's... Uh, fully functional, but maybe you know the KBO is the place to do that.
0: I would find it a bit funny if the Samsung Lions signed Nomar Mazara because they just non-tendered Daniel Polka. So if they replace Polka with Nomar Mazara, yeah. there's a part yeah. of me that finds that hilarious.
2: <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's uh, it, it just sums up uh, you know what kind of talent the White Sox have thought would be a fixture, right?
0: Yeah. The White Sox right field failures. They move over to South Korea and play for the Samsung Lions. Maybe that'll be maybe that'll be the new thing for the Chicago White Sox. Well, yeah, and Vicieto too. Uh well he's 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 a
2: fixture in Japan. Paul didn't play well in the KBO, Uh but you know Vicieto is kind of a star, at least a minor star in Japan, so he found his calling. And uh, and you know there's a purpose in that, there's a good living to be made from that. But it seems like yeah, I would expect one more run at it from Mazzara. You know, maybe uh, this year isn't the year, you know, maybe it makes sense to play in Korea next year because uh, I think there is uncertainty in exactly what the Major League Baseball season is going to look like. So, you know, it might make sense for some players who are of the right talent and stage in their career and mindset to be able to handle
0: that kind of uh, uh, cultural shift. But uh, yeah, it, it's something to think about. Now, you did mention as far as Rick Hahn's comments about the strategy of the White Sox or talking around the fact that we technically didn't non-tender Nomar Mazara and Carlos Rodon but Rick Hahn did provide this quote in the press release when the White Sox announced that they have non-tendered Nomar Mazara and Carlos Rodon quote from Rick Hahn we plan to stay in contact with both Nomar and Carlos evaluate their possible fit with our club as we move forward through the off season, end quote. That doesn't say much, but it does suggest the fact that we're not totally saying goodbye to Nomar Mazar and Carlos Herdan. And I bring this up, Jim, because we thought last year we were saying goodbye to Yomar Sanchez when the White Sox decided to go into another direction at second base uh, because the co- the arbitration cost, was just going to be too high. And Lo and behold, Yomer Sanchez returns to the White Sox last season. Any chance that Rickon reconsiders if neither Nomar Mazara or Carlos Rodan find a new home by spring training? Well, I think the difference, you
2: know, with a case like Yomer Sanchez coming back versus Carlos Rodan coming back next year is that Sanchez, you know, there were some things he did well. He played, you know, great defense at second base, played good defense at third you knew what he could bring to the table. He also knew that, like, you know, he, he wasn't a good hitter. He had some moments here and there and could stand in a batter's box, but you just didn't want him starting, you know, every game. If you felt, if you needed him as a fallback option for an injury or you could stuff him at the bottom of the order and then have him start a day or two a week. He didn't feel bad about that. You just felt bad about asking more from him. I think with Rodan, uh, it's unclear right now what he does well. Uh, and and what he brings to a table. He didn't look comfortable really at all coming out of the bullpen. A very small sample, but two of the three outings were were miserable. <laughs> and, uh, you know, maybe bad ideas by Rick Renteria, but also just, you know, they they weren't, um yeah, you know, like the, his game three appearance where he came in a, out of the bullpen to face uh, Tommy Lastella and he walks Lastella and gives up a double to Marcus Semien you know, and he had the bases empty and two outs, just needed to get one batter, he couldn't get it done. Just like that's the kind of outing where, you know, it, it's... That was more frequent in uh, you know the the recent years, part of its injuries and just lack of stuff. The fastball is back, but he wasn't getting swinging strikes and and wasn't uh, quite the death the lefties that he was in previous seasons. So he's still got some work to do, and I think he's he's got to I think wrap his mind around just what he is after the surgeries and how to pitch with what he has. I think there is some kind of pitcher there out of the bullpen. But I think the team he has to go to or or team he ends up going with on a major league contract would be a team that is so starved for pitching, whether it's starting or relief, that they can just use, you know, as many interesting arms as possible. Even if they're bad ideas individually, just they just need strength in numbers to get through a season cross days off the calendar. I think that's really his best bet. I think the White Sox just, from what they saw of him, and, and you know, I thought briefly that maybe a new administration would come in and maybe see Rodan differently. I thought Renteria was done with him, but then since Renteria was out and Tony LaRusso was coming in with his you know new coaches, that maybe somebody would see something different. But uh, it, it seemed like an uphill battle to find a way to make Rodan work on this team, and so it seems like he's done in Mazzara. You know, for the reasons we talked about, just that it, that's a bad idea to fall back into too. So. Yeah, it's just uh I think it's just Rickon letting him down gently.
0: Other news from the Chicago White Sox today. Jace Fry signed for eight hundred and twenty five thousand dollars. That'll be his salary for the two thousand twenty one season. So for those keeping score as far as where the White Sox payroll is, put down eight hundred and twenty five thousand for Jace Fry. Ronaldo Lopez was tendered a contract, so keep him in the race for a roster spot in 2021 and of course Lucas Giolito Evan Marshall and Adam Engel were also tender contracts and the next step is working out 2021 salaries before arbitration with those three but back to Reynaldo Lopez Jim Lopez was going to be a close call for the White Sox in their tender or non-tender decision making are you surprised he was tendered a contract
2: uh no I I think this year he was basically the he just made the cuts. Like if you think of it like in terms of like a golf leaderboard, he just snuck in. Um, just because the cost is not gonna get in the way of larger aspirations. Also, his talent isn't uh, the kind of talent where it's gonna block anybody better. If like a great opportunity comes along to sign a, a a better pitcher, they're not going to be committing resources that they can't use elsewhere, either out of the bullpen or a starting depth, or you know, just you know, if he enters the season as a sixth starter and has to go down to Charlotte a bit. Uh, you know, that's not a bad use for $2 million or whatever he makes. But, you know, Ethan Katz in his media conference did talk about, you know, talking to Lopez uh, and just uh, trying to figure out where he's at getting on the same page as him. So it seems like, you know, there is going to be an effort to try to shape a starter out of him. I just hope that whatever effort it takes, it's like him and Dylan Cease battling for the fifth spot and not just both of them being penciled in and, and counting on Michael Kopech to contribute immediately. I, I think I'm hoping that... You know, that given that the White Sox are still short on high minors arms, that can contribute. Uh, Dane Dunning is one, but uh, beyond that, just like a little bit tricky. Uh, it, it seems to make sense to have him on board just because for that price, you're not going to do a whole lot better.
0: That's true for the price. I mean, we're talking about $2 million or below with Ronaldo Lopez for the 2021 season. And he does have an option left, I believe. So he could theoretically start 2021 in AAA in case he doesn't win one of those starting rotation spots with the 2021 Chicago White Sox. So the White Sox have some options with Lopez and and Jim, you make a good point. As far as having on hand ready, starting pitching depth for the White Sox into 2021 It's a bit slim, especially if you're counting on C, Stunning, and Kopech to take two of the five starting pitching spots. Uh, That leaves you pretty much with one backup without Lopez, but now tendering Lopez a contract. It adds to that starting pitching depth of the White Sox really need but of course the white Sox could really use a frontline starter to help pair with lucas giolito and dallas keichel to lead the starting rotation while having lopez cease stunning and kopech fight over the last two spots a lot of talent in this group but just the inconsistencies are preventing this group or injuries uh in the case of dunning and kopech from uh for meeting their expectations. So it'll be fascinating to see what the White Sox do with Lopez, especially during spring training. I'm sure that'll be one of the stories that we'll be following next spring. But with the non-tender deadline come and gone, it does add more players to this year's free agency class. Anyone in particular the White Sox could go after? We'll discuss that after a quick word from our sponsors.
1: Listen, you hear that? That's the sound of nothing. And nothing is what you'll pay for medium fries when you buy any Mickey D's new crispy chicken sandwich. It's crispy, juicy, tender, all-white meat chicken with crinkle-cut pickles on a buttery potato bun. Mmm! Buy one, and we'll hook you up with a free medium fries. That's like zero zilch zip. So try any Mickey D's new crispy chicken sandwich and get a medium fries. For nothing. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Prices and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer or combo meal.
0: Hey guys, I just want to remind you that we have restocked the Hall of Famer baseball person t-shirts in the Sox Machine store. The shirt is just $30 which includes shipping and proceeds are going to the Alliance Against Intoxicated Motorists, which is based in Schaumburg, Illinois to help raise awareness about the dangers of drinking and driving. Go to soxmachine.com to purchase yours and do it quickly. ...before they sell out again. We also have our socks Machine Cog shirts. If you like to rep us, makes for a great weekend shirt to lounge in all day. I know from experience... That shirt is just $25 and we do have our Black Friday special continuing with our horizontal Sox Machine logo shirt for just 15 bucks as supplies last. Again, go to SoxMachine.com, click products on the homepage to get yourself some Sox Machine swag. Welcome back to the Sox Machine podcast. Before we look at other possibilities for the White Sox to add to their roster from the recent non-tendered players, the team did announce a 2021 coaching staff under Tony La Russa bench coach will be Miguel Cairo. The pitching coach will be Ethan Katz. Both of these have been widely reported. The assistant pitching coach will be Kurt Hasler. The hitting coach remains as Frank Manichino. His assistant hitting coach is going to be Howie Clark. First base coach again will be Daryl Boston. Moving from the bench coach spot to third base coach is Joe McEwing. And the analytics coordinator is Shelly Duncan, as Tony La Russa couldn't get his dad to serve on his coaching staff. So he helped hired his son to be the analytics coordinator. Uh, Shelly Duncan, though, did have some experience managing the minors of the Arizona Diamondbacks, but he was also in this role briefly with the Toronto Blue Jays, and then maybe there was some drama. I don't know. It's really uncertain, Jim, and what happened in Toronto to Shelley Duncan as he got moved into the front office. In a different type of role, but hey, I'm just happy the White Sox finally have an analytics coordinator. As this is a, a brand new position uh, within the White Sox coaching staff. So, what do we think about the new coaching staff, Jim? It's a it's a blend of new faces and old faces.
2: I think it's fairly encouraging. You know, I, uh, you know, based on the early returns, like Ethan Katz makes a whole lot of sense. Um, I think he was. About as good as the White Sox could do, given the uncertainty at manager. Like I didn't see them getting, um, you know, a, a top collegiate coach. Just because those are pretty cushy gigs. <laughs> so I don't think anybody leaves a a top college program for a pro job that's so uncertain as it was when you know basically a radio silence around Tony La Russa and his legal situation. Uh, so he's pretty good. I mean, Miguel Cairo is kind of an unknown. Entity, um, you know, he has some interesting credentials. He's you know he played seventeen years for a lot of teams. He played for Larusa for a few years. Um, he's got some front office experience. He uh, you know, had a little bit of uniform coaching experience with Dusty Baker uh, in Cincinnati, stepping into that role uh, coming out of the front office. So seems like he's a guy who's been very eager to learn a whole lot of different facets of the game. Um, you know that after his playing days. So I, I'm, i you know, I like the attitude and I like just how open-minded he is and how much he wants to know about how everything works. So, you know, as far as we can tell from a guy who hasn't had, you know, specific uh, permanent bench coaching experience before, it's like not a bad call, you know, from what we can tell. I, you know, Frank Menokino hanging around, Howie Clark, you know, was supposed to be the AAA coach in Charlotte, but Charlotte didn't have a season. So we don't exactly know what he offers, but, you know, given that Scott Colbaugh is here for a year and... Uh, nobody really talked to him because of the pandemic and Zoom conferences, like, you know, getting in the way of beat writers forming relationships with, uh, you know, different personnel. Like, nobody knew about what Scott Colbaugh did. So I think that's kind of a, um, you know, you're trading a shrug for a shrug there. So I think the, the Duncan one, I think, is going to be, you know, I imagine James Fegan will be delving into that a lot because it has analytics in the title and he can write about it as much as he wants for The Athletic. But, um, you know, that's a case where, um, yeah, the the precedent around LaRusa and analytics is just it's it's murky just because you know, my impression of him is that you know, he likes information, he craves information, he uh loves anything that can help him get an edge, but he doesn't like people like us thinking we know anywhere as much as he does. <laughs> like, I think he likes a treating it as like an industry secret that nobody could possibly know. And, and so like he gets, he sounds crusty and cantankerous and uh, it, it sounds like a dinosaur, but I don't think that reflects his, um, you know, how he approaches the job and, and how he approaches the, the idea of analytics. I think the other thing uh, against him is that when he was in Arizona, he hired an analytics and research director who was a veterinarian because <laughs> he was a friend So, you know, there's a case where he does have, when it comes to analytics, and and just uses that title to hire a crony, you know, that's also something that's not great in his history. I I will say with Duncan, like, I've had the same same reaction that, uh, oh, you know, he's a Duncan, of course he gets that job, and also that, you know, the Blue Jays reassigned him during a uh, a turbulent year, uh, personally, uh, or I guess, you know, kind of, uh, you know, for the franchise. But uh and then as in rec he in the comments in the discussion, he brought up that uh, Duncan's brother, Chris, he he died a couple months later after the reassignment of uh brain cancer. So that might have been something just either uh you know affecting him or kind of uh you know making it hard for him to focus or or travel with the team uh, in a uniformed role where you know, he he's he's with the team and traveling uh, on that kind of schedule. And so they moved in the front office just to allow him more flexibility uh, to attend a family matter. So I think that's the case with this Toronto thing to where I'm, I'm inclined to think that whatever happened in Toronto was not necessarily because of any kind of personal or professional failing. I think it was just more a matter of just, you know, having a, a family matter that took up his, his attention and his motion and his resources. And so this might
0: be a clean slate for him. Again, I'm just happy they have someone with the title analytics coordinator. Progress. These are the things that... We have been sniping at the White Sox gym and the front office since 2016. So slow and steady, but progress is being made and changes are being made. And it's nice that the White Sox do have an analytics coordinator to help out Tony La Russa and as far as the coaching staff. Now, speaking... Yeah, well, and the other
2: thing I'll mention too, with Duncan reading about his history and trying to figure out like how much of a crony hire it was, is that uh, like Cairo, he just... He took up a lot of different jobs, volunteered for, uh, you know, he went through scouting school. He managed in the minor leagues. He he got this kind of uh, catch-all job with Toronto. And he was, you know, uh, Charlie Montoyo was very much a, a proponent of Duncan during spring training before he kind of faded to the background and off the coaching staff. So I think there is a case when you look at his history that he could be the right guy for this job. We just don't exactly know what this job will entail to really know what
0: whether anybody would be good for this job right now. Now, speaking of LaRusa, his legal team has submitted a change of plea, and that will now be heard in Maricopa County, Arizona on December 21st at 11 o'clock a.m. Central Time. LaRusa's original plea was not guilty, so if the change of plea is guilty, we'll see what LaRusa's punishment ends up being, but there should be some type of conclusion with his DUI case in a couple of weeks. All right, we'll conclude this episode by taking a look at the new faces entering the free agency pool after the non-tender deadline. So time to speculate a little bit. And I'm sure there's there's already massive, widespread speculation on White Sox Twitter. And feel free to also chime in with your guys' thoughts on who could be some good targets for the White Sox in the non-tender pool of free agents in the comment section on SoxMachine.com. But since the White Sox let go Nomar Mazzara, Jim, they are in need of trying to find left-handed power again. And uh, this is the same type of player that they were searching for last year. So back to the marker board. There are three players in particular that could be of interest in trying to fulfill this need. You have the Minnesota Twins letting Eddie Rosario go. The Chicago Cubs have non-tender Kyle Schwarber. And then, kind of a surprise, the Colorado Rockies non tendered David Dahl, former top 50 prospect and all star in 2019. And Rosario hit 257 with a 316 on base percentage, slugged 476. He had 13 home runs in 57 games this past season. Uh, Schwarber's slash line's not pretty. He hit 188 with a 308 on base percentage, slugged 393. He did have 11 home runs in 59 games and Dahl had a horrific 2020 injuries plagued him all season long. He only played 24 games and he only hit 183 with a 222 on base percentage and slug 247 with no home runs hit in those 24 games. So Dahl had a terrible season and the Rockies decided to cut ties and move forward. Again, Jim, the White Sox have a need for more left handed power in their lineup. And quite frankly, there wasn't a whole lot of options prior to the non tender deadline to help them in free agency. Maybe Jock Peterson was really the only target. Should they kick the tires and see about bringing in Rosario, Schwarber, or Dahl to get primary at bats, DHing while spelling time in the outfield?
2: Yeah, it it did add to their options quite a bit. I think none of these guys are good enough to be plan A's, you know, for right field or for you know, maybe Rosario's not a bad plan A, uh but just uh when it comes to the the spot, like right field and DH and needing a left-handed bat and perhaps needing somebody to rotate into left field on occasion if if LOA gets banged up the way he's gotten banged up over the last couple of years. Uh it seems like at least one of these guys should be able to find, uh, or or, or there, there, I guess there's reasons for the White Sox to be interested, to see what their prices are, to see what opportunities are. And I think for guys like you know Rosario and Schwarber, you know, especially them, I think Dahl is a, a different case just because he's been so hurt over the course of his career that I don't exactly know what you do with that. I mean, I know what the, the talent looks like, um, you know, and he's had some moments and stretches with Colorado, but he's also just had you know, been a non-entity at times. And the White Sox really can't afford to pin a whole lot of hopes on that kind of player just being absent for a year if they need his bats at uh, at DH or in a corner outfield spot. But I think Rosario and Shoreway, I think, are one and two in terms of just, you know, having a role on this team. I think Rosario for his ability to play in okay left field, um, you know, and and not strike out too much, and I think with Schwarber, he's got the power and also the plate discipline, um, you know, against righties, and maybe he's a bounce back candidate. I think it's it's kind of funny that he and Rodon got non tendered in the same winter. You know, he's not, you wouldn't, nobody would be calling him a bust uh, with the Cubs because of the role he played on their on, on their championship team, but just he kind of ended in the same place for both, after such high hopes, and and uh, a swap would be a little bit poetic there, uh, but. Uh, it wouldn't be, I think, you know, the White Sox picking up or the idea to pick them up. A lot of the times when Cubs and White Sox propose trades, just kind of either, uh, you know, out of either just familiarity or provinciality or laziness, depending on who's doing it. Uh, but in this case, I think there is enough reason to think about Schwarber, uh, in order to see just exactly, uh, how much they'd be relying on him. I think that's the question. You know, if they're counting on him taking like all of the at-bats at DH, then no. But if he can come around and, uh, you know, be the primary option against righties while making sure that Andrew Vaughn is the real deal in the minors before bringing him up. uh, That's, I think uh, a better situation for the White Sox. Just a matter of if that's enough to get a hitter like him involved. Plan A
0: is George Springer, right? I would hope so. Right field. Yes. Okay. Okay. So, out of these three, well, uh, let's add a fourth. Let's add Jock Peterson. All right. So, we know plan A. We agree plan A is George Springer. If the White Sox do not offer enough money to bring in George Springer, and they're going to have some heavy competition, it sounds like Toronto is on George Springer, uh, the Boston Red Sox are interested in George Springer. Uh, And of course, we can't forget about the New York Mets. There's There's some serious competition for the White Sox if plan A is George Springer. But trying to come up with plans B, C, D, and E, out of these four outfielders, Jock Peterson, Eddie Rosario, Kyle Schwarber, and David Dahl, how would you rank those one through four for your plans B, C, D, and E for right field? I think out of those four, I'd go with Peterson, Rosario. Well, you know, the guy I thought of too was Jackie Bradley Jr. Oh yeah. I forgot about JBJ. Okay. So we got yeah. five options. We got plans B, C, D, E, and F. So yeah, let's go ahead and add Jackie Bradley Jr. So let's start over here. I'm sorry for stopping you in your middle of your thought <laughs> process. So what would be plan okay, so B?
2: Okay. So let me just, uh, let, let's go over the names again. So it's Rosario, Peterson, Dahl, and Schwarber. Dahl Bradley. Yeah, and Schwarber. Okay, and Bradley. So okay, so I would go with uh I think Peterson's my first choice just because I think he's made a lot of white uh, sense for the White Sox for some time. And I think there is some use for him just being like the primary guy um in a lineup, in a good lineup. You know, he's not like settling for a rebuilding job somewhere, just I think he has some some impact potential. And, you know, uh, a lineup like the White Sox that don't need him to be great, but, you know, just could really get that kind of boost when he gets on one of those uh, streaks that he gets on. I think he's my number one choice. I think I like Rosario. I think I like Bradley number two for right field just because of his defense. Uh, Rosario, I think, is stretched in right field and and not great there. Um, so I think I'd put him third and Schwarber,
0: fourth, all okay. fifth. See, the, would you- Jock can't face lefties and Jock hits only one pitch fastballs. I'm having a tough time when looking at this list because now you've inserted Jackie Bradley Jr. I almost would put Jackie Bradley Jr. as my plan B Jim, because even though you do have Adam Engel as your fourth outfielder, a righty, knock on wood, but if Luis Roberts screws up sliding and he's going on the injured list, I feel pretty confident moving Jackie Bradley Jr. from right field to center field and having Adam Engel in right field in the White Sox defense not taking a big hit. And Jackie Bradley Jr. did have a pretty good hitting 2020 season, but I agree with you. He won't provide the same... Offensive output, even when he's having a quote-unquote good offensive season, is Peterson and Rosario. So this is where I'm conflicted, because with Peterson and Rosario, I'm with you. I would rank them ahead of Kyle Schwarber, because Schwarber right now on Twitter, a lot of White Sox fans are already going to Photoshop and put him in, in, in a White Sox uniform. I think even our pal Patrick Nolan, P. Knowles. It started advocating that maybe the White Sox should think about the possibility of bringing Kyle Schwarber. I like Eddie Rosario more than Kyle Schwarber, so I would rather have Rosario join the White Sox in that type of role than Kyle Schwarber, even if that is your DH. So I think for me, I would go Jackie Bradley Jr. as plan B, because at least defensively and base running, he could get you to that two-war limit. And then I think I would go Rosario, plan C, plan D would be Peterson, and then Schwarber and Dahl. Yeah, Dahl I think would
2: be I think he's like a Mazzara case where he makes sense for a team that can devote the playing time to him if he's great and, and nothing is different if he isn't able to
0: take the field. The 2019 Chicago White Sox would have totally been on David Doll. And I would have been advocating for that as well, but not the 2021 Chicago White Sox, Jim. Yes. I wouldn't be surprised. And this is a team that I seriously think they should sign David Dahl, and that's the Detroit Tigers. I think the Tigers should sign someone like David Dahl as they're kind of going through their rebuild. And this guy was an all star in 2019. He just needs playing time. He just needs a team to be patient with him if he's still dealing with injury issues. And I think a team like the Detroit Tigers would be a good fit. You're already hearing, and what I'm reading out of Detroit, is that you have, as far as bloggers and writers, kind of campaigning, too, for Kyle Schwarber uh, to join the Detroit Tigers, which that would be a pretty interesting fit. He'd be batting third or cleanup. Um, or with Miguel Cabrera almost every single day. So that's another possibility. All five are going to be playing in the majors. This isn't a Nomar Mazzara situation for me. All five are going to be playing in the major leagues. But I think for someone like David Dahl, if we go back a couple years and David Dahl was a free agent for the 2019 White Sox, absolutely the White Sox would have signed Dahl. But today... He is plan F <laughs> for the White Sox right now in right field. And I don't think you do any wrong. If you, if plan A is George Sprainer and the White Sox don't win that bidding war, I think I'm perfectly fine with Peterson, Bradley Jr. and Rosario. I think, I don't think you do any wrong with those three. It's very handy that all these guys are lefty. Yes, that is very true. Uh, that is very true. Schwarber, I just think he's strictly DH and he, I think he's a better version of Daniel Vogelbach, but I, I'm curious on what the future holds for Kyle Schwarber moving forward. I would not put him in the field. I just have him DH mm-hmm. It help his market. If the major league baseball and the players association can agree on whether or not there will be a full time DH in 2021. Yeah, that's really weird. It is. Oh, it's impacting multiple markets. Nelson Cruz has already said, I'm not signing until they decide if there's going to be a DH for the entire league. That makes sense. It expands as far as his market from 15 teams to 30 teams. Marcelo Zuna switched agents and there, his new agency is trying to sell teams on the idea that he is still good enough to play in the outfield. I don't think you're going to have a lot of buyers in that regard, but if you do have the you know, league-wide DH, then yeah, Azuna will be quickly picked up off the market. Teams would love to have his bat in the lineup. But it, it, I'm with you, Jim. It is a bit bizarre that we are now in December and nobody knows. I mean, technically the virtual winter meetings, whatever that's going to be, uh, starts in a few days here and general managers don't know, except for in the American League, if they have the DH role. I, I find it really bizarre that this hasn't been worked out yet.
2: And it seemed like the easiest thing to do among all the various obstacles they have to confront.
0: Well, you have speculation that major league baseball is holding this as a, as a trade shit, right? Like holding it over the players association. Oh, you want league YDH? Well, you have to give up something in return. I mean, like, why is it that way? Yeah.
1: Especially
2: since like, it's, you know, it's more about the front offices than the players at this point, right? It
0: it benefits your team. It benefits all the national league teams. I think they all realize after the 2020 season. Yeah. Having pitchers hit is stupid. (laughs) Like let's, let's find a professional hitter to be the DH and, and take that spot and having a competent hitter bat ninth or eighth in the lineup rather than someone who's barely hit outside of high school. Yeah, I just, I don't understand why this hasn't been ironed out and it's just another nagging thing for front offices right now. Uh, One thing should be cleared up soon and that is going to be the minor league affiliates and Jim's been doing a good job of keeping track of that for the Chicago White Sox, and what the possibilities are. So make sure to check out SoxMachine.com for the latest news on that. That's the next news item, newsworthy item that I'm expecting to be announced for Major League Baseball is the official minor league affiliates for all 30 teams, and then hopefully they can find some time to figure out this full time DH situation because it, it would greatly help all of these players that we mentioned. Um, But for the Chicago White Sox, who are in the American League, all of these five options that we laid out as far as Jock Peterson, Jackie Bradley Jr., Eddie Rosario, Kyle Schwarber, and David Dahl, these are all good backup plans outside of George Springer. Obviously, Springer is a difference maker, and who knows, out of these five, you could be crawling right back into a Nomar Mazzara situation again. Uh, but at least now the White Sox have more options to contemplate and it'll be fun to follow as far as how these you know their markets uh, emerge and shape during this offseason. And hopefully the White Sox make a move pretty soon uh to satisfy our appetite during the offseason, give us something to talk about. But that will do it for this edition of the Sox Machine podcast. Thank you guys so much for listening. You can help support Socks Machine by becoming a friend at patreon.com slash Socks Machine. There we have several tiers of support that allows you access to exclusive content like the P.O. Socks mailbag that Jim's been doing. Also, an ad-free version of the podcast starting at just two dollars a month. So, if you enjoy our work and want to support us, go to patreoncom Socks machine to sign up today. And also, don't forget your socks machine T-shirts we have in stock. You can subscribe to the socks machine podcast wherever you listen to podcasts, such as Spotify. Pretty cool to see everyone share with us their Spotify Wrap 2020 uh great to see that especially on twitter so thank you guys so much for tagging us and seeing our show is one of the their most listened to podcast we love to see it so thank you so much for sharing yeah, it's
2: it's really you know just seeing like 63 hours of us talking uh that's that's one a lot but also just it is a privilege to be in your ears that much so yeah we we greatly appreciate
0: it and it's really awesome to see and again that will do it for this episode of the Sox Machine podcast, since this is the Sox Machine podcast is a production of SoxMachine.com, your home for all things Chicago White Sox baseball. Alongside Jim Margulis, I'm Josh Nelson. Thanks for listening.
1: Listen, you hear that? That's the sound of nothing. And nothing is what you'll pay for medium fries when you buy any Mickey D's new crispy chicken sandwich. It's crispy, juicy, tender all white meat chicken with crinkle cut pickles on a buttery potato bun. Mmm. Buy one and we'll hook you up with a free medium fries. That's like zero zilch zip. So try any Mickey D's new crispy chicken sandwich and get a medium fries for nothing. Ba da ba ba ba. Prices and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer or combo meal.